Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Poly Talk. I'm Jaden, and these are my friends. Peter. Talahakim. Sean Levinsky. Today, we'll be talking about the Chinese government's treatment of the Uyghur people in hopes of raising awareness. We'll go over the main conflict, why it's happening, who it's affecting in particular, what human rights laws the government is breaking, and finally, a solution on how this problem could be solved. Without any more introductions, let's jump into this, shall we? Now, according to Lindsay Maslan's article from the Council on Foreign Relations, since 2017, the Chinese government has detained millions of Uyghur people in the region of Zhangjiang, and they have been subjected to intense surveillance, forced labor, involuntary sterilization, and much more human rights violation. So you can already get a general sense of what's going on, but one question most of you hearing this right now are wondering, why is the Chinese government doing this? Well, according to an article I found written by Dilmarat Mahud, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, from McGill University, China has always tried to exclude religion, especially in the education system, as Article 8 of the Education Law of the People's Republic in China, one of the fundamental laws of China's regulating education states that, quote, education shall be in benefit of public's interest of the state and the and society the state shall separate education from religion any organization or individual may not employ religion to obstruct activities of the state education system end quote because of this religion has always been viewed and discussed in a superficial or negative way in china however after the events of 9-11 the chinese government created a us versus muslims dichotomy as they believed that Islamic culture would teach those about terrorism and they didn't want to have that in their country. So because of this, Islamic identity came into question in Zhangjiang as Uyghur people follow it and the government starting to become more stricter with Islamic culture. So you can see that China has always been restrictive about religion, but because of 9-11, Islamic religion in particular has been viewed in a more negative light as they believe those who follow the Islamic religion would become terrorists. You guys have any thoughts or questions about this? Yeah, like um, my immediate thoughts, so reading about like how after 9-11 especially, we're seeing like more of this surveillance in China, like it was making me immediately think back to my own family, like living here in North America, like growing up as part of a Muslim family. Um, I know here, like after 9-11, like there were issues with like say increased surveillance on like Muslim populations, such as in mosques especially, like just out of concern for like Islamic extremism like being discussed there, as well as like just the general like social stigma that was building against Muslims like post 9-11, like the stereotype that Muslims were like into like jihad or that just stereotypes about them like supporting like Islamic terrorism or like love of violence or just the general fear against Muslims that was building in that post 9-11 environment like in my mind that was something that I always thought was kind of like confined to like North America and maybe like Western Europe as well but like hearing about this happening on like a more international scale like in China especially at a much more systemic level against like the Uyghur people like that's something that I found like very interesting and very alarming like just the ramifications that 9-11 had right mm-hmm. you guys have any thoughts that's definitely disheartening to hear that that 
impact and the Islamophobia spread to other nations. It makes me curious, seeing China's reaction uh, to, to Islam specifically, have other nations reacted against China, specifically other Islam states? Have they taken a stance on China's treatment of the Uyghur people? Well, from what I've researched a bit, um, the U.S. has kind of gone against what the, what China, the Chinese government has been doing though it's it's not much to be honest yeah not not a lot <clears throat> from what i've read not a lot has really happened on that front mainly because china is a big economic power and countries don't want to end up in a trade war or lose right. that, lose that economically just for trying to give backlash on this which is kind of sad because um it's ironic that um people talk about the holocaust and say never again and yet you know, on some level, it's it's a repeat in a different way. It's a repeat, and mm -hmm. people are starting to care about it as of late, but not much. Yeah. Any more thoughts and questions? So, what has the Chinese government done to the Uyghur people? Well, based on this article written by Raza Zainab, near the end of 2018, reports came out that one million Uyghur Muslims have been detained and sent to re-education camps with the purpose of replacing religious affiliation and ethnic identity with secular patriotic political allegiance. My bad if I pronounced it wrong. What this means is that the Chinese government wants to oppress the Uyghur people's Islamic culture and have them follow the traditions of China instead. This same article explains what goes on in these camps, such as authorities having the power to decide when a person has been quote-unquote educated. They have been denied due process, which is the legal process, meaning civil or criminal cases or anything like that. They've experienced torture if they've disobeyed the, the official's uh, commands. Only basic medical care has been provided, so like they can't be provided any... Um, surgery or anything like that furthermore their language is banned in these schools and their religious items will be destroyed but if they don't hand it over they'll be punished this article also provides evidence that children from three to six years old have been detained and separated from their parents as well as put in these state-controlled camps however they end up being in an orphanage or going to a boarding school that follows these same type of reg reg regulations to make it even worse, because these children are separated from their parents for so long, they start calling their teachers parent. They start calling their teachers mommy and daddy, which reflects how long they've been away from their parents. That's fucked up. Furthermore, Uyghur people have tr have cut ties with families and friends out living outside of China in order to avoid catching the attention of Chinese authorities who monitor social media. Another article written by Mian Wang once again, sorry if I pronounced it wrong, gives statistics on Uyghur women who have effect, who've been met, affected mentally by these camps. Based on a study, she, did, she, she and her team did, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. So, Mian Wang and her team did a study uh, that, on Uyghur women and, who have been in these camps and their mental well-being has not been very well. Up to 217 informal caregivers have reported having depression, as well as 273 caregivers have reported a lack of depression. Furthermore, the disabled elders of, that these women are looking after reported having a low QOL scores. 
while this this covers a small pool of Uyghur people, it does show how they've been affected by these camps. So now you get a perspective of what goes on in these camps and how the Uyghur people are dealing with it as children don't get to see their parents, they aren't giving any sort of medical care, and reports from this study has shown decline in mental health within women as probably as well as other people as well. You guys have any thoughts on this or any questions? My first question would be if there's any potential for outreach or support from the outside. Um, I know that people might, or countries might not want to tangle with China specifically, but are there any nonprofits or unaffiliated organizations that are trying to get to these people to assist their mental health or their health needs? Mm, unfortunately, considering how the thing about China, the Chinese government is that they don't really let people into these camps or anything like that. They're pretty restrictive, and to, and as far as I can tell, there wasn't any. I couldn't find any organizations trying to help them because again, this is like a this is something the government is regulating and trying to like avoid trying to get them to to like change change their mind is not that easy. And as for like the mental well being. Because they don't get much education, I mean, they, not education, because they don't get much uh, medical care, I'm assuming that also means they don't get any, like, mental treatment or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I also, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I did a project on this, and, or a similar idea on, in high school, and I recall um, finding somewhere that, too, in the neighboring countries in the region, in Kazakhstan, I can't remember if they were going into Kazakhstan or they were trying to monitor people in Kazakhstan but um, from what I had found um, a lot of the part of why China is doing this is um, because it's a separate culture and there's there is an independence movement kind of underneath of this and so kind of part of trying to squash that is to try and keep in check people in the area and mm -hmm. they're monitoring people in Kazakhstan and that sort of thing or there'd be there'd be relatives in Kazakhstan. They'd be talking to their family in Xinjiang, and then they just kind of disappear. And so, wow. yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'd have to look into that, but that's what I remember from my high school project. Right, right. Yeah, like just hearing about this stuff, like especially like the children being separated from their parents. Like, well, I just find it like really sad. And what it kind of immediately made me think of was just like how that parallels what say like the residential schools in Canada or like just the general treatment of the indigenous people. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing when I yeah. first read this. Yeah, like um cuz I remember like when I was doing like readings on like just the experiences of like children even like up until very recently like late 1900s like children were being forced away like from their parents like say reservations or homes or sometimes like even if they were walking to school, like, there'd be people who would literally, like, pick up these children in, like, vans and then just take them to those schools, like, without the parents even knowing, right? And it was, like, what you were talking about, how, like, these kids, like, the Uyghur children, like, they come to even call, like, the people essentially oppressing them, like, mom and dad, like, that... That's messed up. That's, that's, that's so crazy. messed up, right? Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, like, how... With these children in the residential schools, like, it's a lot of the same experience. Like, they grew up, like, kind of being taught to hate, like, their own cultures and traditions. Like, they were forced to just speak English. And 
I think French, but I'm not sure about French. Um, but like not their own language. Yeah, depending on what part of the country in Canada. Yeah, yeah, and like um, I know like from what I've heard, like a lot of them, like once they were out of those schools, like they come to just like despise like their parents and all that, just because they were taught to like hate that part of their culture, right? Mm-hmm. And like seeing that, like even now, like there's still like these generations of trauma that are being dealt with, and like just the outfall of that in Canada, right? Where at the least, like, the government, at least they're saying, like, they're trying to make an effort to reconcile with this. Seeing that now that similar stuff is happening in, like, China, like, it's just scary to see. So you're thinking that, like, the same thing that happened with the indigenous kids could happen to the Uyghur kids. Yeah, and, like, happening. I yeah, believe that China has actually made that accusation when uh, North American oh, countries have that, accused yeah. them of the uh, Uyghur genocide. They basically mm-hmm. said, you know, those in glass houses should not throw stones. Right. There might right. be some truth to that. You know, maybe we need to face our own demons before we go. It's an ironic admittance to guilt, though, because if it you is, if you yeah. knew if you knew that you weren't doing that, you wouldn't say that to begin with. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it's true. like they're essentially kind of saying that to get people to shut up about, mm-hmm. you know, what China themselves are doing. Like yeah. it's a very sneaky move on them. Yeah. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. So you guys have any more thoughts or questions? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I wanted to cover is the legal matter for this. And I found a document that was written by Minao Sharma. They wrote that they go over the list of human rights that the UN follows, meaning the stru- their, meaning that this is their structure, showing all the human rights violations that the government has committed. So according to Article 1, from the International Convention on Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. It goes over how China's oppression of the Uyghur religion and freedom is a violation of human rights, fundamental freedoms in political, in political, social, and cultural spheres, or on the basis of color, descent, race, or national, or ethnic origin. We kind of already covered this earlier with uh, talking about how they're making children forget their own religion as well as like forcing uh, uh, forcing these chi- forcing Uyghur people to basically forget their own religion mm-hmm. and the next article we have here is from article 12 from the United Nations Convention Against Torture which states that they must prompt an investigation as they have grounds to believe that China is torturing Uyghur people. This document even shows how China themselves are breaking its own constitution as Article 4 of the Chinese constitution provides a discrimination and against, against and oppression of nationality along with any act which undermines unity or instigates division of national of nationality is prohibited. So this is so basically china themselves is breaking their own constitution to make it even and to make it even worse back to the article 12 part when it comes to the torturing i think we discussed it a little bit but like if the Uyghur people do not listen to the chinese authorities they will get beaten and like especially in things like they don't hand their religious items or anything like that and I know some of you hearing this are wondering, why can't the UN prosecute the Chinese government for their actions? Well, that job belongs to the International Criminal Court, or also known as the ICC, and 
According to Article 12, Subsection 2 of the Roman Statute, for the, for the ICC to exercise jurisdiction, the state must accept the jurisdiction, jur, um, jurisdiction, my bad. But Article 13B of the Roman Statute states that the ICC may exercise its jurisdictions if such crimes were referred by the United Nations Security Council to the ICC, prosecuted under a resolution, adopted under Chapter 5 of the UN Charter. Neither of these two is available to prosecute China for their crimes as they committed since China does not accept the jurisdictions of the ICC. Secondly, China being a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, they will exercise and veto their power and to make it so that they don't get prosecuted. So this shows that like the UN themselves cannot can't prosecute China for their crimes because China can use its own power to avoid punishment. You guys have any thoughts and questions on this one? I mean, it definitely makes sense that the bodies that China's a part of and hold sway in have no authority to regulate them, but I still feel that there's the responsibility of other nations to impose sanctions or distance themselves in trade relations or just make it very clear that they don't support that i i think that's a duty yeah it's disappointing that not much is being done um yeah i don't know it's yeah yeah like um it's kind of just the same same thoughts like that it is disappointing to see that internationally not much is being done to like hold china accountable for their actions like i do wonder like if like if the icc is not able to like prosecute because of like china's sway over like the un like if there are like other means that like international bodies could kind of come together and like just hold china accountable to their actions right like um one thing that I find disappointing as well, like just on that line, is I know like a lot of other Islamic countries, for example, like um, you'll hear like on social media, like a lot of Muslims like want like other Islamic states to like maybe like cut ties with China or just like speak up against their actions. But you see like actually like the opposite's happening where like a lot of Islamic nations in like say the Middle East or around the world are actually forging closer ties to China. Which I think a lot of it comes down to like just trade relations or just like other like more economic related release reasons, but like just seeing that instead of holding them accountable, we're seeing like countries actually go the opposite way in many cases. It's just really disheartening to see. Yeah, I I found it interesting too. The unless I misunderstood what you'd said, uh, but the constitution that's unconstitutional pretty much to like try to divide the nation is that yeah, yeah. and I. That's interesting to see because I I think that's just kind of in there as like almost like they're making their own legal tools, ma writing their own laws. You know, not only are they writing them internationally, but they're writing them locally to give themselves justification to do something like this. And I'm sure they're probably playing this game with Taiwan and uh, Tibet. Yeah, I could imagine if I'm interpreting like what you're saying right, like. I could imagine them using like that part of like the Chinese constitution to say that, oh, like maybe the national identity of like the Uyghur people are like 
quote unquote Islamic terrorism is like something that's dividing like the nation and mm-hmm. maybe they're thinking that like what they're like quote unquote re-education programs or whatever like they're trying to like unite them under like a single national identity so yeah like for sure like a lot of it does seem like they're going against their own constitution but I could definitely see the Chinese government like finding a way to twist that and saying no we're actually trying to promote our that part of our constitution it's yeah. easier to unite when you have an enemy to point at, even if that enemy's conjured, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it seems like larger systems, uh, the ICC, the UN, individual nations, they have a lot to lose for going up against China, but uh, has there been any word of grassroots resistance, uh, individuals, communities, mosques? I don't know if anybody has any experience with that or have heard anything uh, about that. It's obviously something that's being talked about more. I'm curious if actual communities uh, on the ground are, are beginning to talk about it more. When it comes to like communities, well, the, when, try, when I tried to research this, there's not much I could find on like certain communities because the thing about them, you, you know China is, is a pretty oppressive country. Like yeah. they, they have a history of oppressing people who go against them. So, and mm-hmm. they have a tendency of not releasing any information on these people as well. I even mean from outside of China. So from capitalist Uh, nations, Canada, uh, U.S., assuming uh, there's enough pressure against certain companies or institutions, even from the ground up, they might end up losing money if, you know, there's movements to boycott or things like that. Like there there does seem to be potential levers even on uh, the individual spectrum if, if there's enough collected. So you're trying to ask if like if the other, if any country other country or outside of China has tr- tried to stop their actions or yeah I guess like international grassroots efforts mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I wish I kept my work from high school um, but I I might be misremembering this but because Kazakhstan has been impacted this kind of indirectly I'm trying to remember if they were trying to do anything about it. Um, they might have had information campaigns to try to protect people within the country for not falling for it because um, sometimes people in Xinjiang they would text family and say can you come over I need help or whatever and then they would come over too and that's <laughs> not a good idea um, so yeah any more thoughts or questions um, all right I, I did find it interesting. Um, we had talked about, um, I t- took a history class last year, and um, we had talked about um, the process of uh, Sinicization throughout Chinese history. Um, so, if you go back to the origins of China's history, they started out, I think, uh, by the Yellow River, and there's another river there. And they kind of went through this process of they had their own culture, and there were, like, you know, other people, we're talking thousands of years ago they'd probably call them barbarians and they would go you know they'd have to defend themselves against the barbarians and what they would do is they would go there and they would over time try to push them into their culture to get them to leave them alone and so over time their borders would expand and expand and expand and gradual assimilation yeah Yeah. and then they kind of hit a wall at Mongolia because it was like very mountainous and they couldn't really do anything about that Um, and I don't know, it's, it's an interesting process to think about because I think we're seeing that process of sinicization happening again in Xinjiang. So. Right. All right, now, this is something I've, this article I found, I wanted to go over with you guys and see what you think. So, according, so 
this was written by Adrian Zenz, and he create he provides a solution on how this problem can be solved. His solution is to opt quote unquote optimize the Uyghur population. What he means by this is to spread them across China, as most Uyghur Muslims live in Zhangxiang, which is why most of the education camps are being held there. And the whole reason the government started this was because they wanted to avoid terrorism in the country, and they thought that the Uyghur Muslims would be the cause of that. Adrian is saying that by spreading them out across the country, not only will they be exposed to like a positive light of the Chinese people, but like smaller groups would be easier to police. And for me, like in a way, I can s agree, but also disagree with Adrian's method. Like, I understand smaller ethnic groups would be easier to control, and it's and I understand, but at the same time, it kind of makes it seem like the entire blame is on the Uyghur Muslims, which mm -hmm. we're basically all this is doing is basically saying that yeah, these are terrors, and if you do this, this would be the best way to control them. Which like that's not true. Like, I understand that. 9-11 the events of 9-11 have caused a sort of Islamophobia but at the same time I feel like we can't just restrict Muslim, we can't just try to oppress Muslim culture or like control it in any sort of way like my my thing is like I just don't think this so I understand the solution I understand from uh, a, a legal standpoint or not legal standpoint practical. practical standpoint that this could work instead of having these education camps but at the same time I, it just feels like we're blaming them for this entire thing yeah. I don't know do you guys agree with this solution or do you have anything sure Talat you want to say something yeah like um, I would agree with like what you were saying like at the latter part like that it does feel like that well yeah, it does seem like Adrian's trying to offer, I guess, like, a middle ground where it's, like, still addressing, like, China's concern about, like, Islamic extremism while not going as far as, like, putting Muslims in these re-education camps. Like, it does seem like he's trying to find a compromise, but it's also, like, is this a situation where that compromise is even appropriate, right? Yeah. Because it's, like, as you are saying, like, this still puts the blame on, like, a mind... A minority group right like the Uyghur like the Uyghur Muslims and like the idea of like spreading them out like across the country like as a means to control them easier like that kind of just sounds like another way you could put that like it's easier to oppress them essentially right yeah, easier to continue does. policing them watching over them so like for the Uyghur Muslims themselves like I feel like their situation would not really change, right? They'd still yeah. be under, like, that constant surveillance by, like, the government or just having to watch over their backs, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, is, like, spreading them out. It's like, how would you even approach that, right? Cause yeah. That would involve... Like, yeah. It, it would base You're basically taking... If they're already living in Zhangzhong, you're kind of just kicking them out of a home and just putting them somewhere else. Exactly, where they're not comfortable right. In. It's relocation. It's yeah. relocation. It's forced deportation. Yeah. No one really wants to go through that sort of process. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's something that we've seen happen in, like, other countries too, right? And, like, too much condemnation. Like moving them to the re reservations, right? Yeah. And it's like with these Uyghur Muslims like in 
Xinjiang. Like, that's how you pronounce it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Xinjiang. Yeah, so, like, I'm assuming, like, those homes they're in, like, they've probably been there for, like, generations, right? So to yeah. suddenly, like, move them to, like, a remote part of the country, like, that's... I just find yeah. that, you know, like, that's just taking them away from something that's so close to them, right? Right. Like... You're destroying whole communities. Exactly. Literally. Like, you're dividing and, like, separating these communities, which... It's another tool of assimilation by the seams of it. Yeah. And at the end, it doesn't seem like they this solution would result in really any Uyghur people being able to, to continue. Or if they did, they'd be such isolated, dispersed, and smaller pockets than they ever used to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when I hear about that solution, like, yeah, it's not putting them in a re-education camp, but... At the same time, it doesn't really seem like a better solution. It just seems like you're giving them now a different form of oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just changing the type of genocide. Yeah. What affiliations does this uh, Adrian Zenz have? Who are they uh, a spokesperson for? Because this, this almost sounds like they could be advising the Chinese government from within. It yeah. seems like they're very yeah. much on their that side was, like, for my this first conflict. Thought. So apparently he's a German anthropologist and he's a, fe- he's a senior fellow in China Studies at Victims of Communism Memorial Found. Uh, my bad, let me rephrase that. He's a senior fellow in China Studies at Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation and an anti-communism, anti-communist. So, so I guess it's understandable why he would come up with something like this. Like, we know China's... Uh, we know how China works, and he's kind of going against that. So yeah. that explains his solution is, in a way, I guess. It is interesting because, like, um, when I hear like say the victims of communism or the anti-communist part of his affiliation, like it make my first thought would that would be that he'd have a lot to say against like how China's like treating the Uyghur people, right? Like even from them, like just generally like being a, a self-proclaimed communist nation, right? But, right. To see, like, him trying to even, like, find that kind of middle ground or compromise with China, like, I just find that, like, kind of interesting. And and I'm more curious about, like, his deeper motivations. I I mean, I don't know anything about this guy, but I I think just looking at the idea, I, I honestly kind of question, is he being paid to do this from China or something? Um. Or I honestly kind of question his credentials on some level because... Um, I'm taking Soviet history right now, and I'm assuming he knows much the same, if not more, <laughs> um, from what I have learned in that class. And the Soviets did similar sorts of things, where they would deport people en masse uh, mm-hmm. from the western part of the country to the eastern part of the country, and it was a way of control, and they would try to mix in Russians in right. other parts of the country, like you know, we see right now with the war in Ukraine and there's this argument, it's like, well, there's native Russians there. And it's like, yeah, the Soviets put them there to try and control Ukraine and try to mix the culture and try to make it all one Soviet culture. And they did the right. same thing in the Baltics and they did the same thing in Poland. And um, I I don't know, maybe this guy just kind of wrote this and didn't think about it, but I think if... <laughs> if, if um, I think if he really does know things about... Soviet history, he should know what this is. And, yeah, see um, the parallels, right? The, you know, that's what, that's what, well, that's, China is trying to do the similar thing, too, is I, they're also trying to import Han Chinese into the region to sinicize it. So, yeah. I don't know. I, 
I don't know what this guy was thinking, but um, yeah, I don't want to yeah. question too much about his like methods, but like I'm mainly trying to look over his I'm, like I'm not trying to question his credentials or anything, but like I'm trying to look over his methods, see if like that yeah. if that itself can work. So like the method, so I think we can all agree that the method itself is just not. Mm would just not work is that yeah, is that what we're all yeah. agreeing on i think uh, mm-hmm. from my understanding of the situation um china's justification of this is um because these people don't want to be part of the country there have been some terrorist responses and there have been some people there who have organized and they're yeah doing terrorism mm-hmm. <laughs> and so china's justification is like we got to control these people and stop these people from being terrorists and I think he's right in the sense that, yeah, if you're to spread them across the country, it's going to be a lot harder to organize as a group to yeah. perform terrorist activities. Um, but as we've kind of t- talked about, you know, Canada did this much the same sort of thing to Indigenous people, and we know what happened with that. And yeah. I, I think it's just fundamentally wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only thing I could say that would be good about that idea would be if you wanted to solve the terrorism problem, it would work. Yeah. But Honestly, maybe, I'd have to push it. back on that because I think that to alienate, disperse, and destroy these communities, you'd leave a lot of disaffected youth. You'd leave yeah. a lot of people who would grow up resenting China for destroying, you know, what models they had around them and, and the culture that, mm-hmm. you know, their forefathers had. Uh, and I think that it mm-hmm. potentially increased the rates of yeah. terrorism. And if anything, it might just mm-hmm. spread that out. There might not mm-hmm. be mass organization, but... Yeah. You know, it'd be pretty easy for a couple of individuals who are really upset to yeah. do a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah, like local levels of damage, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I was kind of thinking like a similar thing where, yeah, like as Peter, as you were saying, like it'd be much harder to organize on like a mass yeah. level. But I mean, even now, like in Canada, we see that like a lot of indigenous people are still mm-hmm. angry about like, like everything that they've mm-hmm. been through, like in history and like ongoing right and like there are still like protests or like movements going on across the country for like various issues relating to like land rights or like the building of like pipelines or that kind of thing so like i feel like we would see like a similar thing with like the uyghur people if we like spread them out right like just a lot of like local acts of like resentment or like just rebellion against the chinese government just for all this discontent that they'd be experiencing over generations like not even just now like through like the process of like relocating them but like over time creating a lot of intergenerational trauma yeah so it's like even if you were looking at this from like just the chinese government's perspective like it would just give them more issues to deal with in the future too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah just to be clear i don't support the idea i think if anything probably i i think it would be harder to organize yeah, the terrorist yeah, activity. Sure. So I think if anything, mm-hmm. it would probably play into China's hand, and that's kind of why I'm questioning this. Yeah, it's like if anything that if you're trying to do what China's trying to do, this is a good idea, and it would make, but it would make it worse, obviously. And yeah, just, like, it would be a further a humanitarian human perspective. It would be a few. It's from a humanitarian. It's a terrible idea that makes everything worse. Yeah. Um, but from China's perspective, um. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, there might. Who knows what the outcome exactly would be? But um, I, I would lean. I would bet on it would probably benefit them if they're trying to sinicize and merge them into their culture. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, even on the security, like their own, like the Chinese government, like their own perspective on their own 
like goals and strategies like that's what I was also like kind of pushing back on too like um because yeah I think it would have that kind of benefit in the short term but like long term over generations I think like you'd still see like those issues like emerge mm-hmm. I definitely agree that it would uh, mess people up especially if you separate families and yeah. like what happened in Canada so mm-hmm. so any more thoughts or opinion or questions on his on this method or all right. It's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we all so we all came to the conclusion that this would just not work. Yeah, okay. I think so. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Now you know what's been going on in the Chinese government as well as its relationship with Uyghur Muslims. They have been breaking countless human rights laws, causing sufferers suffer causing the sufferings of millions to Muslims. And we hope we raised your attention to what's going on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm Jaden. I want to thank my friends for being here and thank you for, for listening to this. And without any and without any more, uh, have a good night, folks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.